0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Jude The book of Jude, the most neglected book in the Bible, they say, Uh, the most underread, and yet a book uh, for our times, uh, facing the issues that we are facing nowadays. So it's I don't have to tell you which chapter because there's only one chapter, Jude chapter one, verses one to four. Uh, We're going to go through the book of Jude um, over the next three weeks. We'll handle the first four verses today, and then 5 to 19 the next week, and then uh, the remainder after that. We've called this series, uh, Contending for the Faith. We're going to read it together. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one in the seat as our gift to you. Verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to you, to the saints once and for all. For some people who were designated for the judgment long ago, have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Well, every generation, as you know, if you read history, faces uh, problems, they face challenges uh, of themselves, a couple generations ago, uh, they were facing World War II, um, and maybe some of you had parents uh, that walked through that. Uh, and after that, they were facing the, the Cold War. Uh, and uh, we have our own challenges nowadays. Uh, we face uh, the challenge and and uh, the the great catastrophe that is a, a culture full of fear and anxiety. And maybe the greater tragedy to the, to the culture full of anxiety and fear is the fact that most of the churches don't have an answer for this society. Uh, that many places that would call themselves churches, uh, they don't have anything to, to offer this society that is uh, so captivated and, and so, uh, so overtaken by fear. Uh, they don't have anything be, because they turned away from the only thing that they had to offer the society uh, decades ago. That is the Word of God. Uh, They turned away from trusting God's Word as their instruction. Uh, They turned away from from seeing the necessity of the cross of Jesus Christ. They turned away from their belief that Jesus was, in fact, uh, the Son of God who came to this earth. Uh, They don't see the need uh, to repent and receive forgiveness. And so, therefore, uh, they have nothing except what society says. And so they just often spew back what society is already telling them is the answer. But the Word of God tells us something very different. Uh, The Word of God tells us that the answer to society's problems is not the thing that society says. In fact, uh, in many churches right now, they're they're telling the people that the answer is the exact opposite of what God says. And Jude is going to warn the Christians... Today and over the next three weeks, uh, he was warning them uh, not to allow culture to spread a message in your churches. And nowadays, we've become, in many churches, it's now culture that dictates to the church the way things are supposed to be, instead of the church dictating to culture the way that things are supposed to be. And that was creeping in to the churches in Jude's time. So Jude was most likely writing this in 64 to 66 AD. So at this time Paul is probably dead, uh, many of the apostles are probably dead. John is missing somewhere in Asia. Uh, Peter is still alive. It's either written right after or right before 2nd Peter is written or right after 2nd Peter is written. The events that Peter wrote about in 1 Peter, if you read that, and maybe that's some good homework for you to do, have come uh, to fruition, and now Jude is writing about these things. Hey, the the things that that Peter warned you about, those things are happening now. And if you read 2 Peter, then Peter addresses a lot of the very same things uh, that Jude will now address. And so Jude feels compelled uh, to write this letter. We read in in verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And so you might say, well, who is James? And, and did he actually have a brother named Jude? And in fact, who is Jude? Who is this guy? Is this some this some guy off the street that decided to write a letter to the churches and, and we somehow accidentally got it? Is it just a, a human uh, foul or mistake that it's been inserted into the word of God as being from God? Well, no. Uh, if you take a little bit of time and study, you see that uh, Jude in those days is a short form for Judas. It's like Bill for William or, or Liam for William. It's just a, a short form. So, so why is this guy using, if this guy is who we're saying he is, the half-brother of Jesus, the full brother of James, uh, why is he using a short form? Uh, because we read in Matthew chapter 15, Thirteen, verse fifty-five, uh, that when Jesus was preaching in Nazareth, uh, that the the people were saying, "Who is this guy? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And isn't his mother named Mary? And his brothers named James and Josh, Joseph, and Simon and Judas? These are the four half brothers of Jesus. Uh, because these guys didn't even believe. Uh, we know that that uh, the The apostles tell us that when Jesus was preaching, his own brothers and sisters came and said, hey, listen, knock it off. You kind of sound insane. You're implying that you are actually God's son. And that's a little wacko tobacco for us. Can you please stop it? And Jesus wouldn't have anything of it. So we know that the brothers and sisters of Jesus didn't actually believe he was who he said he was when he was alive. And and we know that Jesus had a brother named Judas. Short form for Judas... Jude, but we can't actually say this is that same guy, can we? Well, well, let's go on a little more. We also know that the brothers that didn't believe came to believe uh, that after Jesus was crucified and he was resurrected and he appeared to people for months, um, various people, many people, uh, that he actually appeared to his own siblings. Uh, Luke Uh, The same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke wrote Acts, uh, Dr. Luke. He was a a doctor and a historian. He writes this in Acts chapter 1, that after Jesus had ascended, uh, so after he had gone to heaven, um, that they were told to all, all gather together and wait for the Holy Spirit. And So Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so if you had read those verses before, it listed all the apostles. All these people were gathered in a room, along with Mary and his brothers. And so his brothers had to have believed if they were united with the only 150 or so actual still believers in Jesus Christ. And later on we find out that that James, uh, the brother of Jesus, became a leader, uh, because we have his his letter, five chapters from James, the the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, And we know that uh, in Acts chapter 12, when Peter has been arrested, and then God supernaturally gets him out of jail, Peter comes, and and he doesn't just tell, hey, go tell the other apostles. Uh, But in verse 17, he says, motioning with them as he's telling the story to be quiet. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And then he says to the other disciples, "Go and tell these things to James and his brothers." And then he left. And so these guys are obviously high rollers in the in the church now. Uh, we know from history that James, or sorry, that Jude actually goes on to become a missionary, and he travels around like Paul, and he, he shares the gospel like Paul. And, and so Paul is dead, and and Jude is now alive, and he introduces himself. In this letter, with two introductions, he doesn't say, I am the brother of Jesus, so you better listen to me. No, he starts out by saying, a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. Now, you might say, well, this could again be a guy named Jude with a brother named James, uh, that's writing to the church. Is this the same one? Well, understanding uh, the, the, the world back then, it wasn't a world of, of newspapers and of, of social media. Uh, it was a very much a world of reputation. Um, And the the church was so small that the church knew each other. And so there was just little small pockets. Uh, They estimate at the end of the first century, after all the Christians had been killed off, there was a big growth, and then the Romans persecuted them. There was only about 10,000 Christians alive at the end of the first century. So that's a small enough group to know people. You might say, well, is that really a small enough group to know people? Well, you'll know the leaders, that's for sure. And if you introduce yourself just by first name, uh, then you're obviously a known person. James's reputation was so widely known in the church at this time that all he had to do is say, I'm Jude, the brother of James, that James, the guy who is at the time the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's, he's running the show in Jerusalem. He's the, the lead pastor. He's the bishop of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so then people would understand. And and isn't it true? We can meet somebody and we've heard their name and you'll meet them for the first time. You don't know their face, but they'll say, hey, I'm so-and-so. And you'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard about you. Your reputation precedes you, right? Right? We've we've met people like this. In fact, if I was to say to you a name, um, there's probably a, an image is going to pop in your head. I'll just say a name like Donald. Did anyone have a face pop into their head? Uh, some of you just look like you drank some sour lemonade, uh, but if I say to you Justin, does a, does a face pop into your head? Right, right. Those people are so well known that all I have to say is the name, and one person comes to mind. And, and sometimes you can be, you can have a famous relative. You can be famous yourself, but your relative is even more famous that you just have to introduce yourself. So if I say, uh, "Hey, I'm Franklin." The brother of, or the son of Billy, uh, who am I talking about? Franklin Graham, whose father is even more famous than him, Billy Graham, right? And so the same thing is going on here. His introduction, everybody knows who James is, and everybody knows he has a brother, Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus. Another uh, thing to note is that he introduces himself as a servant of Jesus. Again, if you want some credit, you usually want to you know, throw out your best stuff uh, ahead of time. So, hey everyone, I'm about to tell you something important. So I, I am Jesus' brother, so you better listen to me. No, he says I'm the servant of Jesus, which is interesting. If he's the half-brother, you think uh, he wouldn't lower himself to servant attitude or servant position. But again... He understands something that a lot of uh, leaders don't. He understands what James understood. James introduces himself at the start of his letter as James, servant of Jesus Christ. Same thing. He understands this, uh, that although they were half-brothers to Jesus, although they were in the same womb together, uh, one was supernatural and the others were earthly. That they had to come to a place where they actually received God as their Lord and Savior. That it wasn't enough, and and there was no special merit for them, that they had the same family. And that reminds all of us that that we're not born Christians. That, That we don't get to ride in the coattails of our parents. That we all need to be converted. That every single person needs to come to faith. And if there's one person I think uh, in my mind would get some credit, like some extra merit, it uh, would probably be Mary, right? And, and you would think like, okay, God uh, didn't marry, carry uh, your son inside of her and endure everything she endured. Can't you just let her children come into heaven for free? Uh, like they did share the same womb. Maybe there's some rub off there of, of, of something supernatural, but no. There wasn't because they didn't actually believe that he was who he said he was. They had to come to faith themselves. And we have to hear the call as they did. And we have to choose as they did. And we have to teach our children who God is, who Jesus Christ is, why they need him. Because they're not just going to know on themselves. They can't just come to faith through us. So who's Jude writing to? If we believe he is who we say he is, who he says he is, which we do believe, he's not writing to one specific person or even a group of people. He's writing uh, what's called a general epistle. And now, me and my simplicity, when I first became a Christian and probably a few years into being a Christian, I didn't know what epistle meant. And I was too nervous to ask anybody, what does that actually mean? It sounds like a flower with thorns, an epistle. But, but what it actually is, is just a formal letter. It's a, it, it means a formal letter. And so this is a general formal letter. It's not like Ephesians or Corinthians. Uh, it's to all the Christians everywhere in the kingdom at the time. He says, to those who are called... To those who are called, well, that means everyone called from what? Out of darkness into light, out of uh, lies into truth, out of the kingdom of the evil one into the kingdom of God, to everyone who believes throughout the whole Roman Empire. And we have to understand that you didn't do anything to earn your way to heaven. That I didn't do anything that, that, that got God's notice. That, wow, that guy has certainly worked up enough good works, and, and so now I think I'm going to invite him into my kingdom. No, we were called. You didn't choose, although you had to respond to his calling, you didn't choose for yourself. No, God called you. Why did he call you? Because he loved you and i 've heard that from a number of people that i've had the uh, honor of bringing to the Lord or introducing to the Lord uh, people that have come here um, they've they 've said along the same things and i 'm paraphrasing the, the same line they 've said uh, something like uh, it just feels like um, the way you came into our life um, that that we were led here that, that this introduction that we 've had this relationship uh, was and when they're not Christians they say it's almost like the universe or or something out there has led us into relationship. But when they become Christians, they can look back and say, Is clearly God brought us together? And I say, Yes. God was calling you. And when God calls people, he sends people. When he was calling Cornelius, he sent Peter. And so, and so, yeah, God brought this together. And I was just the guy that opened the door that introduced you to the king. And that's really what we all are. We're servants. See, Jude gets it. Uh, when you think servant, you're like, I'm a Canadian. I'm not really a servant of anyone. Uh, people can serve me, sure, but I don't actually serve anyone. Uh, but they get it. James got it, too. A servant, think of yourself, you're at the the king's palace and you're at Buckingham Palace and and somebody rings the doorbell if they actually have a doorbell there. And and you're like that person who opens it up and and, and leads the person in, I'll lead you to the king, and and talks to them about the king along the way and leads them into the, the king's court and makes the introduction. That's what a Christian is. That's what your part is. Uh, they've heard the calling, and you're the person opening the door and introducing. And that should be a desire of all of you. That's why we do evangelism. We simply talk to people about Jesus. We are not called because we have great qualifications. It's not like a resume. If if you've been uh, job hunting, you know that you you. Uh, put down your qualifications, and you put down your experience, and then you, you email this document off, and somebody gets it somewhere, and they look, and they say, huh, is this person qualified uh, for this job? And maybe they'll give you a call, right? And if you get a call, you're so happy, and if you don't get a call, you're disappointed. And it's not like that. Your qualifications uh, don't get you deserving of God's grace and mercy and love. Now, the only qualification is that you're loved. That's it. That's why God called you. And when I was thinking about this, picturing it in my daydreaming head, I, I was picturing the angels uh, gathered together uh, that day in 2007 when, when God called me into his kingdom. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, picturing figuratively that the angels were there and they, they got the resume, okay, who's God called now? And they looked at the resume, my resume, and they're like, does he have any qualifications for, for serving uh, the king of the universe? And, and they went through it, nope, no, actually oh, this is a pretty shady pass. And wow, another guy pipes in, just say it. he's a bum. I, I don't know why God's calling him. And another one pipes in, yeah, but got the one qualification that matters. He's loved by God. And, and so I was called. And so too, you were called, not based off anything you did, but simply because he loved you. Loved by God the Father. And last week, we had the privilege of baptizing five people. And what I encouraged them uh, is that not to, not to base uh, the, the feeling of love they have like human love. Uh, not to, as they committed themselves to Jesus Christ and received his love, not to base it like a human loves. Humans often, not all the time, but often only love for a time. Love is a feeling to them. So they make commitments of love, and then they fall out of love. And I, and I said to them, especially the, the three that are young, uh, don't ever equate human love with God's love. Unfortunately, sometime at some point in your life, somebody that was supposed to love you might walk away from you. But that's not the way God is. If he called you and loved you, then he is going to keep you. That's the next introduction. You'll be kept, kept for Jesus Christ. He's protecting you. He's keeping you, not based off anything you've done or are going to do. And if you ever think, which some of you do, I'm not worthy of God's love. I've done too much. I've messed up too much. I talk to people that often feel like that, and I feel like that sometimes. Then I just want to remember, I want you to remember and reflect on some of the people that Jesus Christ has called. Think about Mary Magdalene. Think about a first century prostitute, uh, looked upon by society as the lowest form of humanity. And we don't even want to think about the, the things that that woman had to endure in that environment. And yet, she was called by God because she was loved by God. And she was kept by God. And so, sure, I, I'm sure that that although some people could see her as a changed, uh, born-again Christian, there were some people that said, yeah, that's Mary Magdalene. She's, she'll probably fall off the wagon. She's, she's probably not worthy of being in. I don't know why Jesus kept her in here. But yet, God's love for her was so much that she's the woman that wept uh, and her tears washed the feet of Jesus, and, and her hair washed the feet of Jesus. She was so grateful for how much she'd been loved, and that love kept her until the end of her life. So think about her when you feel unworthy. Think about Simon the Zealot, man, when you feel like, oh man, I am a depraved man. And, and I know the things that sometimes pop through men's heads. Okay, so you don't need to pretend that you've got it all together. Because ladies, I know some of the things that pop through your heads as well. Uh, that some of the things you're like, where did that thought come from? It's so wicked, it's so evil, God can't love me. Think of Simon the Zealot. A zealot is an assassin, a Jewish assassin. They could be uh, compared to modern-day Taliban or or uh, al-Qaeda or ISIS. Their job was to train and be able to get up close to assassinate uh the Romans, or anybody else they would deem as a political target. These were brutal men. And yet, God called Simon out of that. And he became one of his apostles. And that love changed that man. And that love kept that man. And, and so if he can keep him, he can keep you, man, even in your mess-ups and your failures. No one is too bad to fall out of the love of Jesus Christ, if in fact they have been called from the start. Then he says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. He really wants you to know that as you, as you grow older, uh, that, that you are loved, that God's mercy is sufficient for you, that as we participate in communion, it's a reminder that, hey, I've been saved, and that mercy that originally saved me has saved me from the sins as well this week that you would have greater and greater peace as you draw closer to the end of your life that you wouldn't be more afraid that you'd be more eager i'm going to be with god because i have put my faith in him and love that will be multiplied god's love will be multiplied to you and in you and one of the one of the realities men and women that we need to we need to wrestle with is that as it's being multiplied to us as mercy and peace and love are being multiplied to us by god Shouldn't it be multiplied to each other? Shouldn't we be more and more eager to forgive those who don't deserve to be forgiven? Uh, Shouldn't we be more willing to try and bring peace into other people's lives that we see are in chaos? Uh, Shouldn't we be willing more and more to love those who are hard to love? So that is his introduction. Now what's his purpose? 3 and 4 tell us his purpose. Verse 3. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend to the faith, for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. Once and for all. So this is not a casual letter. He wanted to write a casual letter, uh, but he didn't have time to. Uh, Something more pressing He wanted to to write them a long letter, uh, you know, something like Paul would write, which we're not talking about you just type off and send out. Uh, We're talking painstakingly with ink and whatever they used, feather. uh, Painstakingly do it on a piece of paper and having that copied and sent to others. He wanted to do that, but he didn't. There was an urgent thing that God put on his heart. We had a casual fire drill about a month and a half ago right? Uh, We we heard the fire alarm, and we knew it was coming, and so you all casually got up, you carried on your conversations, we just shuffled our way out, right? It was a casual fire alarm. Uh, But if one just went off now, and we smelt the smoke, there would be nothing casual about that, right? You'd be getting up pretty quick. Hopefully you wouldn't be pushing over the person beside you, because that's not very loving. But you'd be making your way out quickly, right? Uh, There would be some urgency. That's the same sort of urgency that Jude is writing to them. I'm urgently writing you. I'm appealing to you. Uh, I, I wanted to tell you some things, but there's an even more important thing to talk about. And I've been urgently uh, requesting from you, Calvary, over the last five weeks that during this period of transition, what have I been going over? That don't follow your feelings. Don't do things based off what you want or the way you feel the church should go. But make your decisions based off the instruction in the word of God. That's been my urgent request to you during this transition phase. And the promise, God says, is that if you do things his way, then he will work it out for good. But if you just go with, I feel like it's time to take the church this way, that's how churches blow up. That's how Satan gets in. What's he been urgently appealing to them? That God's word is perfect. That it doesn't need to be added to or, or taken away. And he, he appeals to them to contend for the faith. The faith that was delivered by God through the apostles to the church once and for all. Final, sealed, done. And when we hear contend, some of us get feisty. Feisty. Right? Some of us love to contend for the things that are important to us, not necessarily the things that are important to God. Right? Uh, we can get our, our picket signs and our, our pitchforks. We can take to social media and young people with your Snapchat and, and middle-aged people with Twitters uh, and, and some of you folks that still use Facebook. Um, you'll take to it and you'll let people know your opinion. Right? I'm ticked off about this. That's how social media makes its money. And some of you, as, as your wives have reported, uh, when you're contending, you yell at the TV. When you see certain people come up, you yell and let them know how ticked off you are. That's not the kind of contending we're talking about here. He, Jude is encouraging them uh, to contend uh, for internal problems, with internal problems. People uh, that are teaching false doctrine. He's not saying get mad at the way the Roman Empire is and, and, and try to change that first. No, no, get your house in order first inside. That's the problem. And ladies and gentlemen, we can see the world and, and we're now a lot of people waking up to, wow, things are really getting bad really quickly. And we're like, we got to get to picket signs and we got to let people know. No, we have to come back to how, it, how culture lost its moral compass, how it became so confused. The church allowed people in the 50s, 60s, 70s to creep into their pulpits, to creep into their seminaries, uh, to take positions of power. And they started teaching things that were contrary to the Word of God. And and people, because we're nice Christians, we just stood by and said, well, they're a nice person. That's a little bit different of an idea, but... They're a nice person, and they're the pastor. So I'm really not going to say anything. And and slowly they just twisted things out of context. And and so uh, that that generation uh, grew up, and 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 they raised the Gen Xers, my generation, born in the '80s, '90s. And, and that generation took a look at the church and said, "Well, they sound just like culture. Why would we want anything to do with them? We're out of here." And because the church tried to 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 be friendly with the culture. And then my generation had kids, and so these kids were raised up uh, with the idea of relative truth, that nothing really is true, and therefore nothing really matters. And, and, and you can just decide what is true to you. And so we see chaos amongst us and society unraveling, and we don't know how it happened. It happened when the church stopped being the church, when, when we stopped telling culture what God's desire was, and we let culture tell us what God's desire was. But that's then. And this is now. We, we can't do anything about it. And Jude is telling the people, hey, uh, some people have co- come into your congregations stealthily, and they're teaching some stuff that is going to lead you down bad waters. And, and John would remind us in Revelation chapter 22, verse 19... That if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life. And we should have been contending for that 20, 30 years ago, but we weren't. And so now what do we do? Well, we are to contend with those in the churches who are teaching that which is not true. But let's, let's understand something. Contending is not contentious. And If we're honest, guilty, we can sometimes be known as Christians as very contentious people. We think it's zeal. I love God and therefore I'm going to cause a ruckus wherever I go. I'm going to let people know just how sinful they are and just how messed up they are. And hey, look at that Christian and their life isn't all together. And and we can be very contentious people. Bible thumpers, whatever you want to call. That's not what Jude is saying. We're to be treating each other with gentleness and love, speaking the truth to each other. And a contentious person often has a lot of conflict in their life. They're often on the offensive. People often avoid them. If you can look at your life and you can see, yeah, I have a lot of conflict with people in my life, maybe you're a contentious person. And that's not the kind of person that God wants you to be. He wants you to be a contender. That's different. To contend in the Greek... Uh, is also translated, same word, contend, is also translated agonize. Uh, so a contender uh, is someone who contends with focus, with skill, with commitment to that which is opposing the truth. So this isn't whether uh, somebody uh, is arguing about whether you should wear a suit to church or not. That's a secondary, that's a third or fourth issue. That doesn't matter. Don't contend for that because it doesn't matter how he'll to God. But we're talking about what is central to the Christian faith. What is clear in the word of God. A a commentator uh, writes this. Uh, It was used, this word contend, it was used in the New Testament uh, as an agonizing struggle between two wrestlers. Let's remember the Greeks, uh, they invented Greco-Roman wrestling. And so again, he's giving those writers imagery. This is like two wrestlers facing off. You don't have to to face off with of somebody who's a pushover, right? You have to face off with of somebody who's strong, somebody who's dangerous. That's the sort of language Jude is using. So he's essentially saying, "Wake up, sleepy Christians. Wake up. You've allowed some people to come in amongst your ranks and they're now teaching and preaching and leading people astray. Wake up and contend for the faith that was delivered to you." By God, once and for all. A couple years ago, when I was researching church security, as we started to see more uh, shootings and and dangerous things, uh, I watched some videos of of attacks. And a lot of the time, the attacks would take place, and everyone would just sort of turn in shock. I can't believe this is happening. But one video I can remember a guy came in, he pulled a gun out. And as he got it out, there was like literally three or four people on him. They were watching. They were ready to contend for the safety of the congregation. And in the same way, that's the way we're supposed to be. Loving, compassionate, full of mercy and grace, but not budging on what matters most. Verse 4. For some people who were designated for this judgment, long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of God, of our Lord, into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Master. Most false teachers don't come in banging drums. They come in subtly, with smooth words, with flattering words. How do we know them? Well, you really have to study their lives. What's their character like? Ungodly. Meaning they say a lot of things, but they don't live it. And not that they mess up. No. They're actually purposely living contrary to the Word of God. That's really how you sniff out somebody who's faking it, somebody who's dangerous, somebody who's a wolf. They're often nice people. They're often, sometimes, sound and look nicer than some Christians, but they're not what they are when nobody, what they say there when nobody's looking. So, what is their tactic? They use the grace. Grace means unmerited favor or forgiveness of God, forgiveness you didn't deserve. They use that as an excuse to keep on sinning. And in fact, to increase their sin. God loves us. God is forgiving. We don't deserve to be here. Therefore, let's get on with sinning. Because this body is going to die and my soul is forgiven. So I want to indulge in everything because I know God is going to forgive me. Because God is all about love. And if God is all about love, then he's cool with whatever I say. There's a word that you'll hear, a license. And, and again, uh, an image that I, that I use to understand licenses, if you get a driver's license, you have permission uh, to drive the streets, right? That's your permission. You get pulled over, you show it. In the same way, people sometimes use the grace of God as their own personal license. Look, I've been saved by faith, therefore I can do what I want. It's a license to sin. And people had snuck in to the churches all over and they were saying, God's forgiven us, therefore we can use our bodies however we want. Sensuality means rejecting restraint in indulging in lawless insolence and debauchery. And so isn't that the argument that is raging in all the churches or many churches now? Isn't that the the big argument that is dividing society? You can do what you want with your body. God loves you, your body, your choice. You can indulge in whatever you want because God is more interested in, in you feeling good than you actually doing what he's asked. You can change who God made you as to fit whatever you would like. Isn't isn't that the big argument? That was the big argument then? That's the big argument now. It's just changed a little bit in the way it's being shaped. The second tactic, deny the deity of Christ. Meaning, God didn't actually become a man. That's ridiculous thinking. God can't become a man Sure, this Jesus was a good moral teacher. There's some good stuff in this book. We should take what is good and leave the rest, which we don't like. We treat it like I treated my favorite restaurant in Bracebridge. It was called the Hong Kong Buffet. Some people don't like it as much as I did. COVID killed my favorite restaurant. And I love to go there because I love to eat what I liked. I used to like to go back time and time again and get more of what I liked. And leave all the vegetables and stuff that I didn't like. And that's the way people treat God and his word. I'll take what I want and reject the rest. But the reality is God says, hey, I'm God. I'm in charge. This only works well if you embrace the 10-course meal which I have uh, planned out for you, which I have prepared for you which you need to take all of it in to actually become a healthy, thriving Christian. I I was reminded of the prophet Ezekiel when he stood before God and and God said, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your belly with this scroll. He'd, He'd written out the words of God and he says, eat it. And Ezekiel was like, what? But he says, so I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. We're never going to experience all that God has designed for us unless we eat everything God has prepared for us. Well, as we prepare for communion, let's just pray. God, thank you so much that you called us. That any who have come to faith in here didn't get it because they're great. They got it because you love them. I pray for any in here who are wrestling against accepting that love. That they want to believe they can do it on their own. That humanity is sufficient on its own. I pray that they would hear that you love them. That, that's a love that isn't going to fall away when their career ends and nobody remembers them anymore. You're going to remember them always because you love them. I pray for any in here who feel unworthy, uh, who allow the lies of Satan uh, to poison their lives now, to poison the mercy and the peace and the love that God desires for them to have. I pray they would reject those lies. They would embrace their identity in Christ and would know he'll keep them until the end. And Lord, I, I... I thank you for the men and women who have come to Calvary over the last eight years because they desire the truth. And Lord, I pray that Calvary would continue for years and decades to come to be a place where men and women come together, different backgrounds, to hear and to live out the truth. So bless us as we now partake in your holy communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.